Good morning, Living Stones. Glad to uh, have the opportunity to fill in for Pat while he and the family are on vacation. Uh, and uh, I feel like we're on a little vacation with the fall weather and the 75 degrees. Amen. I'd like to, for that to stick around for a little while. Uh, really uh, enjoyed yesterday afternoon. There's a few of us that went out disc golfing at uh, George Wilson Park. And uh, my goodness, it was such a beautiful day. But I was really frustrated, uh, and, and we're, getting into, we're going to be talking about the boastful tongue in just a minute here. But I, I, was, I was there with uh, my son and my daughter-in-law and my nephew and his girlfriend, and, and they're the young ones. So I'm like, let the old man show you how it's done. <laughs> and the second shot, I, I went like this, and I tweaked my arm, and it's just killing me this morning. That's what I get for having a boastful tongue. Anyway, yeah, amen, Steve. Thanks. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate that. Uh, but you got to watch your mouth. You got to watch your mouth. Uh, I, I love that idea because as a pastor, I, I don't tell people that I'm a pastor right away. Um, but then I'll you know, have a conversation with somebody and, and then you know, watch the, listen to the conversation that comes and, uh, and every now and again, the word will fly, you know. And then they, oh, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh. Or then when, they find, when somebody finds out that you're a pastor and they, and, then, and they forget that they are having a conversation with a pastor as if you're supposed to, as if you're supposed to have a certain kind of a language when you're talking to me, you know. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I just smile because I just love it. It's real. You know, those things do happen. Not, I'm not, like, giving us permission to, you know, just let words fly or anything like that. But that's not what we're talking about. And, that's, and we're going to get into the text a little bit this morning. Uh, but I, I, I love that, that whole idea of uh, who we are. Who we are. You know, our, uh, our, the text that we often go to when we, talk, we describe the people that we are as the Living Stones Church, as uh, uh, is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Uh, and you've heard this many, many times, but I think it's always good for us to remind each other, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then Peter will go on in just a few more verses, and he will say this about us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this the, the, the idea here is that we are chosen to be separate and special. We are chosen to be people who follow Torah or follow the word, follow the law. The, the Hebrew idea here and, and what James is going to write about as he's talking to the Jewish people who are, who are trying to live a life in a Gentile word, is, the Hebrew word is mitzvah. Everybody say mitzvah. Mitzvah. You may have heard that when you, uh, when you think of bar mitzvah. I, have, I actually have uh, Jewish relatives, 
and the two sons in that family, they had their bar mitzvah when they were 12 years old. Okay, but mitzvah is commandment. So bar mitzvah would be the son of the commandment, son of the commandment. But the, I, I was looking this up as I was thinking about James, and I, and I found a beautiful word picture. Because the, I, I think sometimes we feel like we're just bound up it, by the law, like we're restricted by it. But the picture that we want to see here, and I, I have a, actually have a beautiful picture here uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. I, I had an opportunity to go to Israel uh, just a couple months ago, and this is a young man who is he's having his bar mitzvah. That's actually the wailing wall, by the way. That is the western wall. And uh, I could tell you so much more about Israel, and I don't have time to tell you all about that. But here's this young man who's 12 years old, and he is becoming a, a man, a bar mitzvah. He is becoming a man of the word. And he is, he's given his uh, talit, which is what this is right here, for the first time. And he puts it over him himself, or his father will put it over him, some people call it a prayer shawl. And he's holding it out like this. And it is a reminder to him that now he is now a son, a son of the commandment. A son of the commandment. He's celebrating his bar mitzvah. There were all kinds of Jewish boys that were becoming men while we were there. And they were singing songs. It was a huge celebration. And it happens every, every weekend in Jerusalem. But I love how he's wearing it. And I just couldn't wait to get a picture of it because he's holding it up like this. Okay? And the idea, word picture here is that you are bundled up. You are bundled up. That God is not this, this person who is so far off and he's watching down over us, waiting for us to make a mistake. Like he's distant. And any time we say a bad word or every time we break the law or break the rules, he's ready to punish us. He's ready to uh, uh, institute some kind of penance on us so that we can pay the price for our, for our bad mistake. Instead, what God is, what God is communicating in this, in this moment, in mitzvah, in keeping the command, is he wants to wrap us up in his arms and says, you are mine. You are my special people. You are my holy priesthood. You are my child. I often like to pray the prayer and, and, and communicate that how, how we are so grateful that we are God's beloved sons and daughters. God takes great joy and delight, and he is not somebody who is far off. Hence the commandment which describes the intimate relationship that God wants to have with us. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. It's not just keep the rules, but with all of your being. God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. God does not desire for us to have some distant relationship. Instead, he walks with us. And he talks with us. So I love, I love that there's a few more things about this uh, talit. Uh, and uh, 
just some pictures. First of all, David. You know the story of David and Saul, where Saul goes into the cave uh, to relieve himself. David's, is, uh, he's being, uh, Saul is chasing David to try to, uh, to try to arrest him or kill him. And David is in the back of the cave, and Saul goes into the cave, and he's relieving himself. <laughs> and David goes up, and he, he cuts the corner off of, David, of Saul's robe, kind of pulling a prank on him. And then Saul goes out of the cave, and Dave stand, David stands at the end of the cave, and he's holding up this. This is a, um, uh, a tzitzit, tzitzit. These are tzitziot, these tassels. And it is a reminder, the blue thread is a reminder that we are a holy priesthood. And David cut that off of his robe. And he, and he stands in front of the cave and says, Saul, look at this. You weren't paying attention. You forgot who you were. And I cut it off. I cut it off of your robe. Jesus, when he is going through the, when he is going through the town, there was a woman who was, had the issue of blood. And Jesus, as every good Jewish person was wearing his tallit, and the woman said, if I just touched the corner of his robe, what she, meant, what, what she did is she touched the tzitziot so that she could be healed. When Jesus says, go into your prayer closet, he's not saying go into the, your physical closet. But this is what they would do when they prayed. They would take their prayer shawl, their tallit, and they would wrap it around them. Isn't that beautiful? Just this idea that I am coming into this moment with God and I'm letting him wrap himself around me. And now I hear him and he hears me in a most intimate, beautiful way. This is the relationship that God desires to have with us. And we have that with God. And when we understand it, we begin to realize and even remember our design and our image. We bring the presence of God into the world around us. And so in light of all of that, setting the stage, James is going to come to this chosen people. He's going to come to these Jewish people who are trying to live life in a world that is kind of foreign to them. And he is sharing, sharing with them how important it is for them to live out that calling, to live it out and understand that they have power to have an influence and make a difference in the world. So he continues on the same theme of how our actions as as uh, Chuck talked about last week, our actions demonstrate our faith. If we say that we are a loving people, but the condition of the world around us has not been influenced for good, how, how can we say that we are his children? How can we say that we are living in that way? So let's look at James. <clears throat> James chapter 3, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horse, horses to make them obey us, 
we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a, by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, as it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. <laughs> yeah. How convicting is that? To think about the way that we leverage the power that we have to have an influence in the world and the words that we use will, can change that direction. God has called us to partner with him in his great work to redeem and to restore. The questions that I think are very important for us to answer, the question that I ask myself first is, how will I leverage my life to have the most influence for good in the world around me? That's a good question. I think a second one for us to ask as a community of, of believers, as a church, is how will living stones, how will our church community leverage our resources to make an impact for neighborhood change? And I think it requires that we understand what's in my heart. Like, we, we've heard that, uh, is it the Capital One commercial that says, what's in your wallet? What's in your heart? What, what is, are, you, are you living into this image that God has created you to be? Or are you desiring to leverage the power that you have for another reason? For success, for power, for prestige, whatever that is. And I think even as Christians, probably even especially as Christians, when we say that we are Christians... And we make a stand for Jesus Christ, and yet we look in our world, just the world that is very close to us, and we see no change. I think it's very important that we evaluate our lives and say, boy, what's in my heart? What is in my heart? So I think there are, there are three things that we can do. First of all, evaluate your actions. Evaluate your actions. Just look at, look at the way that you're living your life. I love uh, one of the things that I appreciate so much about James writing is that James often will go back to Jesus' teachings, and he often goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we hear about this, this, uh, this, this power, Jesus will say in, in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes, or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. You hear that? What's in my heart? And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If there, is, if there are words that are coming out of my, my mouth that are self-serving, 
that are manipulative, that are driving for power, but I say that I am loving and I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus, is that really the condition of my heart? No. I think it's a good self-evaluation for us. How are we admonished to be different than what we see around us? I love, uh, and Pat would have spoke about this two weeks ago in beginning this message, just a reminder to us of verse 9 in chapter 1 where it says, be quick to what? Not speak, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In other words, listen well. Listen well. Uh, I think we can get so busy that, that the people that we interact with in our lives, they can either be used as a, as a way to leverage power for ourselves. We network with others. But then when we leave the table from them, when we, after we've sat and had coffee with them, we forget their name. Have you ever done that? I've done that. Because I've not listened. I've not paid attention well. I, I have been so intent on the, the, purpose, the purpose that I have had for meeting with another person has not been pure. It's not been, it has not been to love that person. But, but we're called to be quick to listen so that we can know the other person's story. And so that we can understand what God is doing in that moment that we are with, that, with another individual. Let your words be few. I was talking to my, my aunt, uh, my Aunt Agnes, and I, I preached at her church this past Sunday. And uh, she, she told me that when I was a little boy about 10 or 12 years old, I'd go over, visit with my grandma, and we'd be running around in the yard, and, and I didn't remember this. Of course, I didn't rem you know, remember those th you know, these kind of things, but she said, Lowell, when you were 12, you were just talk, 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 talk. And she said, she was the prophet in my life. She said, I think you're going to be a preacher one day. <laughs> my father-in-law likes to say when I get up to preach that I, I've preached three good sermons in one time. <laughs> I think that comment was like, yeah, you need to not talk so much, Lowell. But, you know, but it's really important for us to understand that the, the, the words that we use, we, just, we don't just throw them out there, but that we, are, that we think about the words that we are going to use. And we allow them to be seasoned with salt. We don't use icky sweet words to try to impress. And the value of a good question Instead of trying to give our opinion immediately, ask a question that will allow the other person to make the discovery that maybe we're trying to help them to get to. And the last one is, I love that. It says, be slow to become angry. In other words, don't be reactive. Don't be reactive. You know, that moment when, when I hear a word fly, like I was talking about before, I'm not going to cast judgment immediately. And here's why. Because if I am sitting across the table or if I am in a communication with somebody else and I've listened well, 
I'll understand that there is a reason why the words will come out of the mouth of the individual that I'm sitting across from. It's not all about me. And I understand that they're living life too. What an opportunity that we have to be able to bring grace and mercy in that moment. Without even understanding the complete story, we can bring empathy into those moments. That's what James is talking about here. That's what James is talking about here. James would then go on. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we also curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Not after we've evaluated our heart to see what's in it, I think it's important that we cultivate our heart. Don't just, don't just stay there and say, you know, I, there's, been, there's something here that is bad. There's something here that is wrong. There's something here that doesn't match up with who I say that I am. But now what am I going to do about it? Jesus will teach very similarly to James here. In fact, actually, I think it's the opposite. James is teaching very similarly to Jesus. In Luke chapter 13, he tells a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it and did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. That's what I would say. <laughs> if that's not going to produce any fruit, just rip it out of the ground. It's, it's a waste of space. It's a waste of time. But listen to what the gardener says. Why should we... Why, uh, Sir, man replied, leave it alone for one more year. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig around it, and I'm going to fertilize it. And if it bears fruit the next year, fine. And if not, then cut it down. And I love the grace that's in the, middle of, in, in the middle of that text that says, don't give up. But don't just, don't just throw something out and say that it's worthless. Do the hard work that needs to be done. Jesus seems to have this special interest in figs, though. I, I want to I touch on the fig part of that. Because he, he teaches about figs. He has interaction with the fig tree frequently. One time he was going into uh, the city of Jerusalem with his disciples, and he, ran, he came across a fig tree that wasn't in season. And he, but he was hungry, and he wanted a fig. And he came in, and he, he saw that fig tree, and remember what he did to it? It's almost the opposite of what he was teaching. He's, he cursed the fig tree. You stupid fig tree. All I wanted was figs from you. And even though you're out of season, I curse you. And he says, and it says that when he, after he came back out of the city and went back, back with his disciples, the disciples recognized that the fig tree had withered. Like, Jesus cursed the fig tree, and it died. Now, who does, what's a fig? Like, anybody like figs? Some of you maybe have had fig newtons. I remember growing up on fig newtons. Remember getting that package of fig Newton cookies, Alexis, from your neighbor? That was <laughs> so. But a fig to 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 the the people in Jesus' day, they didn't have Hershey's chocolate 
or Dove chocolate. Now, I know about chocolate. I think you do too. When Katie, when Katie was pregnant with Daniel, we went to Cracker Barrel one night. The only reason why we went there is because Cracker Barrel at that time had the best chocolate cobbler there ever was. And we sat down at the table, and I have a witness because her best friend was with us. So the three of us are sitting at the table at the Cracker Barrel, and she's going through, like, she's pregnant, and she has all of these wonderful cravings. And all she wanted was Cracker Barrel's chocolate cobbler, and they had none. And I thought she was going to come unglued to the poor server <laughs> It was there. She loves her chocolate. And I, I, I feel like this is Jesus. Like, all he wants is a piece of a fig from this tree, which would have been candy, like, to them. That was their sweet. That was their delight. A fig tree. If you had a fig tree in your yard, you had, a, you had something special. You had a candy tree is what you had. And Jesus, it was almost like he's throwing a tantrum, like, I want my chocolate. What Jesus was doing, though, in that moment, he, is, he, was, he was saying, listen, our lives must produce fruit. We can't, it's not empty words. We don't just say that we are this kind of a person. We don't just say that we're going to make these promises and them all be empty. Our fruit should not just be something that is productive, but it is something that delights the people that live around us. It is not icky sweet, but it is a delight like candy. It's like chocolate is. And how do we cultivate this kind of life? How do we dig around the tree and put water and fertilizer on it so that it grows in our lives? First, I think it's very important that we pursue God. One of the writers that I've been uh, reading re recently is uh, uh, Brother Lawrence. Very simple uh, journals from this Catholic monk. And his desire was only to always live in the presence of God. In his writings, you never heard him complain, but he always just desired, no matter what's going on in my life, I want to be in the presence of God. I was hanging out with uh, one of my students uh, just before I took him to the airport the other day, and we were talking about our tendencies and our weaknesses and how important it is for us to recognize those things in our life and to learn from them. To not just be disappointed about them, but to say, you know what, God, I thank you that you've shown me something here about me so that I can grow and I be can become more like you. And I can be a delight in the world. I can share something with my life, with my spouse, with my children, with my neighborhood, with my community that is going to say, wow, I am so glad that God put a fig tree in my yard that is constantly producing beautiful, delightful fruit. Boy, that's, that's the kind of people that God wants us to be in our neighborhood. That's what he wants us to be. Finally, James will finish and he will go on in this chapter and he says, who is wise? and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life. Now, 
I want to pause there for a second because that word good sometimes trips us up. It goes back to what I was talking about in the beginning. I don't think it's talking about behavior. James is not talking about being good. He's talking about that faith that Chuck talked about last week that shows itself through our generosity, through our hospitality, through the good actions that come and bless other people. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow, that's harsh. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. After we have evaluated our heart condition and cultivated, then we seek wisdom. And that's what James is talking about here. What he's doing, and I, I don't know if you saw this in the text, but it sounds very similar to something Jesus preached about in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Hear these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, I think, describes what it means to be wise. Wisdom that comes from heaven is going to be one that says, and I'm just going to use the words from the, from the Beatitudes. If you are merciful, the person who is poor in spirit or bankrupt in spirit, you, you're going to give them a place in your space where they are welcome. If you are pure of heart, pure in heart. It means that your life is not so distracted that you have time to just stop and sit with the person who is mourning, who is grieving, and spend time with them. It's not, I'm just so busy, I just don't have time to stop with you. No. A person who is pure in heart has all the time in the world to stop whatever they're doing and to love and the peacemaker, which James seems to hit on the hardest, the peacemaker is somebody who will give the meek person who has no voice in the world and bring peace, reconciliation. James is saying that this person who knows how to do that is wise, is wise. 
A few weeks ago, we had an opportunity to walk our neighborhood to pray. Uh, and I, I, I have to be honest with you, when I came that morning and I saw the signs, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have an interview later that day, and I'm, I'm thinking we're going to pray. I didn't know about it. I didn't get the announcement or anything, but then we, pr- we went out and prayed during our service, and it was beautiful. It was amazing to just go walk, walk the neighborhood and say, you know, God, what are you doing here? And what did you notice? What are some of the things that you recognized that were needs in our neighborhood? Was God present? How about thinking about our influence in the world? How have we influenced our, our parish, if you will? This is our parish. I mean, this is our church. But the neighborhood, these are our people. How have we influenced that? those people? Do they know we love them? Not just lip service, and not just like the things that we're doing this week when we do the trunk or treat, those are wonderful, but that's the beginning, because that's just an action. But have we had the, taken the opportunity to actually sit and know who our neighbors are and know them by name? It's not just lip service, but it is a tangible expression of God. I, uh, as, I, as we were walking with our group, we went down uh, the street here all the way to, um, I can't remember the name of the street with, that Riley's on, uh, but there are gates right there at the end of that neighborhood, and then we cut over to Miami, and then we walked up Miami, and uh, as we were walking, uh, John 8, 2 through 11 came to me as the passage. Listen to these words. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand up before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Uh, Just pause right there for a moment. Did you hear? They took her out of the bed. And she probably had nothing on. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, which is true. Now, what do you say, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And we have no idea because it doesn't even say. We didn't, we didn't have an Instagram photo in the moment to take a picture of what he was writing. We have no idea. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. 
then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. How many in our neighborhood, those God has entrusted in our care, live outside of the restorative community that you and I love and appreciate? As church, we can be very quick to tell people what we think, what to do, and how to behave. The church is known for this. We got it all right. We have all the answers. From Jesus' example, we should instead, I believe, instead of telling people what they've done wrong, remind them who they are. I, I think that's what the Eucharist is all about. The sacrament that we partake of every week. It is not just do it because this is the thing that we always do, but it is a reminder to us of who we are. It is a reminder to us that we are precious in His sight. That He takes us And he bundles us up. No matter where you've done, where you've been, what you've done throughout the week, no matter what kind of a life that you feel like you've lived, here, of all places, I want to remind you that I wrap myself around you. You are mine. You are my beloved sons and daughters. So I invite you. You are invited. Jesus invites you to come and to be reminded and to be remembered. Remembered into his good story. We uh, participate in communion every week. Uh, and it doesn't matter uh, what, what kind of things you've uh, done. You're welcome to come. You are welcome to come to the table to take the bread that represents the body of Jesus and the cup that represents the blood of Jesus that he gave for every one of us so that we can be restored to a relationship with him. As after I pray, we're going to sing another song and uh, you're welcome to come up to the table and participate with us. There's also gluten-free options for those of you that need it here as well. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Father, for calling us your beloved sons and daughters. Sons and daughters of the commandment. Sons and daughters of our Abba in heaven, who created us in his image. Thank you, Father, for restoring us into that good image. Thank you, Father, for uh, blessing us so that we might be a blessing around us.
and that we might be wise in bringing peace into our world. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.